So our first reading is taken from Genesis 32, verses 24 to 29. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as, as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Our second reading is taken from Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And, I, and will not God grant justice to, the, to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let me tell you a story about a man named Abdul Durrant. He uh, is a black British Muslim man. And uh, just over 20 years ago, in 2001, he was working nights as a cleaner at the HSBC headquarters at Canary Wharf. Every evening he cleaned the offices of the chairman who at that point was being paid two million pounds a year and Abdul was being paid four pounds fifty an hour. Having connected with uh, some others to buy some shares, Abdul came not as a cleaner but as a shareholder to the company's AGM. And he nervously stood up in front of the investors and the executives and he said to the chairman, we work in the same office but we live in different worlds. Let me tell you what it is like to work on £4.50 an hour bringing up six children. It began a conversation and within 18 months HSBC, along with several other major banks, signed up to start paying the real London living wage. This was the early days of the living wage campaign. And the organisation that had connected Abdul with others to enable them to become shareholders and speak with the chairman was, of course, London citizens, which we here at Bloomsbury are very much a part of. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, the community organising method which they use to bring about social transformation 
is the most effective way I've come across of taking action to build justice in our city and in our country. If I'm honest, I look with despair at the options currently facing us for whom our next Prime Minister will be, which is why I think it is important that we don't give up and that we keep working together to build justice. The title of this sermon is Striving for Justice. Through London citizens, the voices of the poor are amplified. Powerful voices of oppression are called to account and our fervent prayers for justice begin to take shape in the world around us. Which brings me to our parable for this morning from Luke's Gospel. The story of a poor widow's plight as she is pitted against the indifference of a powerful representative of an even more powerful institution. This is a simple parable with only two characters. There is the widow who we are told is a victim of injustice. And then there is the judge who we are told neither feared God nor had respect for people. The judge is a representative of the first century Jewish legal system, which was specifically charged under the Hebrew Bible's legal code with the care of the vulnerable within Jewish society, including widows and orphans. So you could look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 29, and so on. That was his job. But it quickly becomes clear that he is not exercising his power and responsibility as he should. Well, there are, there are two kind of schools of thought in interpreting this parable, which tends to occupy the pens of the various commentators on it. And one school of thought, and you may have heard sermons uh, along these lines before, I know I have, which says that this judge uh, should be seen as a kind of inverted representative of God. Um, so you, there is a kind of school of thought when you're interpreting parables that somebody somewhere in those parables must be either God or Jesus. And this is saying, well, this guy, you know, he, he, he's not exactly God, uh, but maybe he's an inverted representative of God. So whilst we may not see God as capricious or indifferent like the judges, nonetheless, the point is that if we persist in prayer, as the widow did, then surely God, who is better than the judge, will hear us and answer our prayers. I think this is a problematic reading of the parable because it raises for us all sorts of questions as to why it might be that God would only answer our prayers on the tenth or the hundredth time of asking rather than the first. You know, is, this, is God really a God who needs to be badgered into action? What is it that changes from the first time of asking to the tenth or the hundredth? Is it possible that God is in fact far more unpredictable and fickle than many of us would like to believe. It's a difficult reading, I think. 
But then there's a, a second school of thought about this parable, which draws attention to the Jewish rhetorical technique of arguing from the lesser to the greater. Um, such arguments uh, were common within first century Judaism and, and before, and can be found in many other places in the Bible. Um, usually introduced by the phrase, how much more? So an example from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 11, we find Jesus saying, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? Well, by this kind of reading of the parable, the unjust judge isn't God or even a kind of inverted representative of God. Rather, the point is made by suggesting an argument from the lesser to the greater, which is that if even an unjust judge grants justice eventually, then how much more does God long to grant the prayers of those who cry to him day or night? But the lesson remains uncomfortably similar to the first interpretation, which is that we should continue to persist in prayer and hopefully God, who is far nicer than this evil judge, will eventually get round to answering us, even if at the moment God seems to be ignoring us. After all, we tell ourselves, surely God is much more motivated to do so than the unjust judge in the parable. But you know, I find this second reading almost as problematic as the first, because it still takes us no closer to understanding why it might be that God, who is of course nothing like the judge, is still doing such a good impression of him by ignoring our fervent and persistent prayers. I remember as a teenager, my youth leader encouraged me to keep a prayer diary. And you'd write down one side of this column of the page, all the things that you prayed for, and then down the other side, all the answers you got. And I guess maybe because I was motivated more by honesty than wish fulfillment, the answers column never really had much in it, unless I prayed for something blindingly obvious, which it was obvious was going to happen. It's really tough, isn't it? What do we do with unanswered prayer? What do we do when God seems to be ignoring our prayers? even when we know what we're praying for, is precisely what God wants. I mean, we know from scripture that God is on the side of the poor and the vulnerable, on the side of those living with injustice. And we pray for justice. And we get a choice between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. Where is God in this? So I want to suggest a different way of reading this parable. And I think it's a way of approaching it which might get us a bit closer to the persistent and faithful struggle embodied by the widow to see the world transformed in the name of the inbreaking kingdom of heaven. The way I want to suggest we read this parable is that the unjust judge is not God. He's not even an inverted pastiche of God. Rather, the judge represents the oppressive forces at work in our world, those principalities and powers which are inherently and systemically indifferent 
to the plights of the poor and the vulnerable. We are told, are we not, that the unjust judge has no fear of God nor respect for anyone. I think he represents those systems and structures which have lost sight of their God-given intent and have become instead indifferent to the plight of the poor and the vulnerable. The Jewish legal system should have cared for the widow, but it didn't. And these structures in our world could be governments, indifferent to the plight of those at the bottom end of society. Promising tax breaks, which is no use at all to people who don't pay tax. Seeking to restrict benefits and cut services in the interests of political expediency or ideological pragmatism. They could be governments. They could be businesses or international financial markets which have become indifferent to the exploitative or oppressive effects that their endless quest for profit has upon those who find themselves standing in the way of the bottom line. Don't hear me wrong here, by the way. I'm not against government. I'm not against business. At the risk of sounding like one of the candidates this week, I'm not against profit. But when governments and businesses lose their way, then there is a problem. They could be those systems which have been specifically charged with protecting the vulnerable. The police, the army, the justice system, the home office. When those systems become indifferent to the causes that they have been established to champion, then we end up with systemic racism in the police. Then we end up with an army that is abusive and aggressionist. Then we end up with a home office that is indifferent. From institutional racism to military dictatorships, it is all too easy for power to breed corruption. And this, of course, is precisely why Jesus uses this image of a judge in his parable. He is a representative of the very profession that should have been standing up for the impoverished widow. But beyond these large institutions and their tendencies to systemic indifference, the unjust judge could be you, and he could be me. And this is especially true for those of us who have money and power, because we too face choices about what we will do with that which is ours to hold. We too must make our choices about who we will vote for, where we will invest our money, which pension scheme 
or hedge fund we will endorse. And I appreciate that this is not a question for everybody who will be listening to this sermon, but it certainly is a question for some of us. And it begs a question of us. Will we make our choices on what's best for us and ours, or will we hear the voice of the widow crying at the door, crying out for injustice, crying to us for righteousness? In Jesus' parable, the widow's continual and perseverant approach to the indifferent judge is effective in the end. Like our cleaner coming face to face with the chief exec of the bank, we work in the same office, but we live in different worlds. The poor widow eventually got her justice. And I think that speaks to us about the fact that the power here does not only reside with those who have already got money and power. Weakness and vulnerability are themselves a way of calling to account those systems that create and oppress weakness and vulnerability. Because if you expose the injustice, you open the path for the institutions to do better. In many ways, this is the path of nonviolent resistance. It has echoes of Gandhi, of Martin Luther King, of Rosa Parks. With the disempowered presenting themselves again and again, bearing testimony in their own bodies to the injustices that they have suffered, holding the world to account that the world might be transformed. Now we have to be careful about this. We do not make it the responsibility of the disempowered to get the justice. But the disempowered can join in the voices calling for justice. And one of the lessons of London citizens, following the mantra of disability rights, of nothing about us without us, is we never go into an action without ensuring that that, that, that action is empowering the voices of those who have been disempowered. This is never just powerful people having conversations about what's right for them. Some of you will know the wonderful song by the Irish rock group U2 from the 1987 album The Joshua Tree. Uh, the song is The Mothers of the Disappeared. Some of you won't, so let me tell you about it. It was inspired by the lead singer Bono's experiences in Nicaragua and El Salvador. And it is a song that seeks to give voice to the pain that he heard when he spoke with those people known as the Madres de Plaza de Mayo, a group of women whose children had been disappeared by the Argentine and Chilean dictatorships. These women simply never stopped asking the authorities what had happened to their children. Through persistence and pain, they eventually, after many years and decades, got some answers. Many of the children were indeed confirmed as dead. 
Others were found to have been adopted out or otherwise rehoused. And some people were brought to justice. And still the mothers keep asking the question. And so I think we're back to Jesus' parable of the persistent widow, which according to Luke's introduction in the first verse that Liz read for us earlier, is actually about two things. Firstly, it is about the need to pray always. And secondly, it is about not losing heart. The parable is not just about praying for injustice or about interceding for the poor. It is, secondly, about taking action. It is about standing alongside the widow of Jesus' story. It's about joining our voices with hers in persistently challenging the forces that oppress and misuse power. The lesson of this parable isn't that even a bad judge will give in occasionally. It is rather that even a poor widow can effectively challenge the powers that be in the cause of justice and righteousness. And it raises for us the uncomfortable question of whether in fact it may be that the only effective challenge to oppression and exploitative powers can come from amplifying the voice of the poor. Because it is only when the powers are brought face to face with the dehumanizing effect of their actions that they can be held to count and enabled to change. And so those of us who would challenge the powers that be in the name of justice, but who seek to do so from our own positions of comfort and security, may find that we are already colluding in the very systems we are seeking to take a stand against. This is why we who would see the world different need to find ways of embracing and including and handing over power within our own community to those who are living with the disempowerment and injustice of our society. Our challenge to the oppressive structures of the world is only credible when we are first living into being in our midst the reality that we long for more widely. So we who would have compassion for the poor may find it helpful to remember the word compassion is the bringing together of two Latin words, com meaning with and passus meaning to suffer. Compassion for the poor involves suffering with the poor. It's that disability rights adage again, nothing about us without us which is applicable, I believe, in any context where the disadvantage to finding people taking action on their behalf. Any challenge to the indifferent powers of exploitation that does not include the voice of those who are being exploited will lack the power of the persistent widow in Jesus' story. But if our communities of transformation 
include those who are otherwise disvoiced. Then the cry we offer in challenge to the oppressive powers will be a voice of persistence informed by compassion. It's interesting to hear what the judge says as he grants justice to the persistent widow. Verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so she may not wear me out by her continual coming and asking for it. And the Greek word here for wear me out is a word that actually means to beat black and blue, a bit like a boxer at the end of a long round. And it carries connotations of shame, not just exhaustion. As a defeated boxer might be said to have been shamed by his opponent, so the judge is shamed by the widow. When we join our voices with the voices of the oppressed, when we learn the language of the poor and speak with them against the oppressive powers of injustice and indifference, then God is active in shaming the powers that be into taking actions that bring justice and blessing into the world to those in need. In our wrestling with God in scripture, I believe that the stories of our faith can become for us the persistent widow, shaming us with their honesty and persisting in their challenge to us that we can and should be different. Remember our first reading? As Jacob was left beaten and limping by his encounter with God, so we too may find ourselves black and blue after a night wrestling with the word of God. But from our encounter, with scripture, which should never be easy. If you read the Bible and it comforts you, sometimes, of course, but if you read the Bible and it always comforts you and it never challenges you, then you're not going to get the blessing. From the wrestling with the word of God comes the blessing as we are enabled by the persistence of God revealed in scripture. We are then enabled to disentangle ourselves from the seductions of complacency and the temptations of indifference. Sometimes I despair at the intransigence of the powers that be that rule our world. Can they ever be brought to account? Can they ever be changed? Well, yes, I think, says Jesus, they can. And it begins with those who have compassion, who learn what it is to suffer with. It begins with those who are downtrodden and beaten up. It begins by those who are themselves called to account by the word of God in scripture and in the communities that they are part of. Can we hear the word of God in our midst challenging and calling us. It is an upside down revolution where the world is changed not through popular uprising but through the telling and living of the stories of oppression repeatedly, continually and faithfully.
It's a revolution that begins when people wrestle with God and with scripture to bring the darkness into the light, even at cost to themselves. It begins with a church in solidarity with the poor against the indifference of the machines of society and the world. It begins with the faithful few who will not be told to keep silent. And so Jesus ends with a question. And yet, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Friends, this is a hard task. It is a task that it is easy to walk away from, especially when faced with the indifference and hostility of the powers of oppression that act in their own self-interest powerfully and viciously. And yet, and yet, we are called to keep the faith, to persevere and not to count the cost. As St. Paul put it in his letter to the Galatians, let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all. That's Galatians 6, verses 9 to 10. So to return to the story of Abdul, with which we began. 20 years later, the living wage campaign has seen almost 300,000 workers get a substantial pay rise. It has put 1.5 billion pounds back into the pockets of the lowest paid workers in our country. And so I challenge you to become involved through Bloomsbury in the work of London citizens. Whether you is, are someone who is powerless, whose voice needs amplifying so that the powers that oppress can be called to account, or whether you are someone who is powerful, with a powerful voice to bring to the table. I would love for you to do some training so that together we can join in challenging the systemic powers of injustice in our world as the persistent widow strives once again against the unjust judge. If you're interested in being part of this, speak with me. We'll sit down, we'll talk, and we'll see how together we can bring about change for good in our world, in the name of Christ, in fulfilment of his parable. Amen. Let's bring our prayers to God. God of justice and love. We come to you at this point in our worship with our prayers for others. We've been thinking about how to understand the parable of the widow and the judge and what this might mean for us and our lives. Thank you that it tells us you are a just and loving God. And more. Thank you that it tells us we can come to you with our concerns and requests and more. Thank you that you have created us with the ability to understand and recognize the deeds of our world and more. So we bring before you those situations of injustice of which we are aware where a superior political power asserts itself violently and repressively over others. 
such as in Ukraine, Myanmar, Afghanistan, Yemen, Palestine. We pray that those responsible may come to recognize that what they are doing is wrong and seek to find peaceful alternatives to their aggression and oppression. Not only do we pray for the obvious violent struggles, but also for situations where political parties are unconcerned about providing services and benefits to improve the lives of their people. We ask that our political leaders, especially at this time of choosing a new prime minister, will revisit the idea that their role is actually to bring about better lives for the people they are chosen to represent. And in business and industries, where the structures are often created solely to make huge profits for management and shareholders, and those employed to do the work are paid a mere pittance. We ask that the leaders may realize their responsibilities towards the workforce and seek to provide fair wages and conditions for their welfare. We pray for those many systems around the world that have actually been established to bring justice and protection. We acknowledge that some of these systems often actually result in being enforcers of the opposite. We pray for judges and juries, for police, the army and security guards, for those who manage the various care systems for the sick, the elderly and the vulnerable. And we pray too for the work of organisations like Citizens UK and Christian Aid. We ask that you will guide the decisions they make and the methods they use to carry them out. We recognize and pray also for those who are indifferent to the situation of others, that they may come to realize that the suffering of a few inevitably leads to the suffering of a greater number. And then there are others who deliberately choose not to become involved, maintaining that the better way is to remain neutral may they realize that by keeping silent on matters of justice, they actually support the side of the weak and the hard done by. And in all these things, may we also remember our own part, that we too may make the choices that contribute towards justice, that we may question persistently the decisions made on our behalf and be prepared to take action against those powers that dehumanize. Help us to keep the faith. Give us the strength and the energy to persevere and not to count the cost. We pray all these things 
in the love that you have shown us in order that it may be shared by all. Amen. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before the glorious presence, without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.